It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hey guys, thank you very much for checking on the Locked On Wizards podcast. This is Arthur Reynolds. You can find me on Twitter at District Mamba. I just wanted to give a little disclaimer. This episode was one of the best guests that we've had on this podcast since Ian and Becca and I have taken over. And unfortunately, we're still working out how to best deliver the best audio quality that we can provide. And we finally found something. Unfortunately, it did not work for this podcast, but the ones coming out later this week will sound a lot better. So I just want to apologize for the audio quality and to let you guys know that we will be improving going forward. But this was such a good episode that we're still deciding to publish it because the host that we had on or the guest that we had on was incredible, had a lot of insight about Dwight Howard. Spoiler. And yeah, we just want to publish it. Again, we apologize for the quality and we thank you for being patient with us. Also, shout out to Reddit, Wizards Reddit, and just know that going forward, we'll be making more of an effort to interact with you guys. You you are a voice that we want to tap into, so we will be reaching out to get more uh, interactive with our fans on Reddit. So here's the episode. Again, thank you very much for checking us out. We apologize for the technical difficulties, but I hope it's not that bad, and you can learn about Dwight Howard from ESPN Charlotte. Quickly to Wall. Wall, Magic. Deal. Gets open for three. Stagger! What's going on, everyone? Welcome to another episode of the Locked On Wizards podcast. I am your host for today's episode. I am Arthur Reynolds. And today, I have a really awesome guest with me. He is the host of the Locked On Hornets podcast and also the co-host of the Wake Up Call on 7.30 ESPN in Charlotte. His name is Walker Mel. You can find him on Twitter, at Walker Mel. What's going on, Walker? Hey, Arthur. How are you doing today, man? I'm doing well. Good, good. Yeah, thank you very much for joining me. Uh, I reached out to Locked On Hornets, and I got to talk to your producer, and he set me up with you, and you accepted. So thank you very much for coming on. Um, The topic at hand, the Dwight Howard, I don't know how to say it, conundrum, the Dwight Howard experience. We want to get the full breakdown from someone that covered him for an entire season, and, you know, this is his fourth team in four years, and it's very hard to find someone that's consistently been with him every year. But I felt like the latest opportunity is probably the best take on the Dwight Howard experience. So, Walker, I guess my first question for you is, the whole perception of Dwight Howard being a character in the locker room, what would you – is it true or false? 
And then what can we expect in terms of his locker room presence? No, I think Dwight is a character. I think what you've seen from him is it's a guy that is pretty charming with the media. It's someone that is pretty engaging with you when you want to have an interview with them. And you've seen him do the rounds on ESPN quite frequently this offseason where you've seen yeah. a lot of his face on whatever show it is from the jump or, you know, even on mm-hmm. Get Up, I believe. I mean, you, you've seen him make the rounds this offseason. I, I think in the locker room, I think there's no doubt about it that there are some problems with pretty much every team that he's been on. With, with Charlotte, I don't know if that was ever really exactly crazy clear, extremely apparent. I know Marvin Williams just did an interview the other day and said that Dwight Howard was not a problem in the locker room, that everything was fine there, but there were some other things, uh, some other reports that came out um, as Dwight Howard was traded to the Wizards that maybe there was some, some thing, or traded to the Nets, I should say, excuse me, that there were some problems right. with Dwight Howard a little bit between him and maybe the camaraderie between him and the other players within the locker room. I, I think the biggest knock on him is, you know, there, when everything's going well, everything is fine with Dwight, and when it's not, then he doesn't really partake in, in that experience as well. For instance, after losses, you don't see Dwight talk a whole lot, but during victories, during wins, they're at, right after the game, he'll talk to the media. So I, I don't know if, if it's somebody that is, is just going to completely destroy the locker room. I just think people just – there's a lot of players out there that just – dislike Dwight Howard. I think that yeah. for whatever reason, I don't I don't think it's some guy that comes in like people often use the term cancer in the locker room. I, I don't know if I'd describe him as a cancer, but maybe he maybe he's just some sort of maybe lower sickness within the locker room. Maybe not exactly welcome welcome in, in each locker room. And I think you did see that a little bit with Charlotte despite some maybe some conflicting reports from Dwight. It, it, there's there's something there, though. There, there's no doubt about it. You, you're not on this many teams in, in this many years, in this short of years, if there's not something going on within the locker room with Dwight. Right. Okay. And, yeah, I mean, that's really great to hear. I feel like a lot of these things are overblown, especially when a player gets traded to another place or leaves a team. That's when all the bad stories come out, like, there was a locker room divide, we had this issue, the coaching staff, all that stuff usually comes out after the player leaves, which is very interesting. And I know some of us here in D.C. have been, like, viewing any body language during games of the bench and the game where Dwight Howard, I think, did the 30-30, 30.30 rebounds, the entire bench, like, celebrated with him, like, like stood up and, like, acknowledged it. And I, I just thought – that's really interesting that he could be causing locker room issues, but yet everyone is still together and as a whole and is able to celebrate an individual accomplishment, like a 30-30 and 30 game. Um, but, yeah, you mentioned the, the cancer in the locker room. Yeah, like I don't really like throwing that term around loosely, um, but at the same time it's really good to know that maybe that is a little bit overhyped, maybe magnified a little too much. Um, I also wanted to get into – so the thing about Dwight Howard coming to, coming to D.C. is we've had some drama at the center position for basically the last 10 to 15 years. You know, if it's JaVale McGee, if it's, you know, Brendan Haywood and Anton Thomas in the locker room or on the bench and practices going at each other. And then more recently, we've had – we just ended the marching Gortat era which, you know, brought a lot of excitement, a lot of positivity, but at a cost. 
because especially the past season when John Wall went down, there was a lot of we're a better team, we move the ball, everyone's getting involved, and that, you know, John took that as a direct comment towards him and his style of play. And then, you know, John Wall mentioned that he gets that Gortat gets the most spoon fed baskets than anyone and he should be like his biggest fan, all that stuff. So it got really ugly. Um I'm not saying that Dwight Howard is gonna come in here and be an angel, but at the same time I feel like we can expect if not the same, a little less drama from Dwight Howard, especially based on his uh press conference where he mentioned he wants to take on whatever role that the team gives him. And one of the biggest concerns from from, from Marching Gortat was how he never played in the fourth quarter to end games. Um, in Charlotte, did Dwight have – was there any – were there a lot of games where Dwight Howard wouldn't finish a game and then he would complain about it or anything along that, you know, realm of, you know, this is what we need from you – to win a game, and then Dwight kind of fighting back? No, I, I don't think – there were times where Dwight wouldn't finish a game because his free-throw shooting is just too much of a liability, despite him actually not having as bad a year as he's had in the past. He actually shot 57% for him. That's okay. I mean, it, it, it's right. not great, right, but for him, you know, 57% is actually better than what he shot in a lot of other years in his career. But still, there, there was a liability there if you left him in in the fourth quarter. I, I don't think you had a ton of pushback from him on his role within the offense or, or the translated to winning basketball anymore. Right, exactly, and especially in this day and age, like you mentioned, the small ball era. You know, it's not about, you know, if you can up-muscle up your opponent, it's more about if you can make a three-pointer over your opponent. Um, but, yeah, that, that's very interesting. You you broke down a lot of things that I was going to ask you about. Um, here in D.C., I feel like this past season, oh, like there was a, there were a lot of headaches caused on offense, uh, whether it was a lot of – if it was too much iso ball, a lot of one-on-one, a lot of just sloppy play, mid-range jumpers. For John Wall, he has probably a signature, and I put it in quotation marks as a signature because I feel like you can see it coming from a mile away. But John, obviously taking advantage of his speed, he will pretend like he's running through the motion at the top of the key, and then once you as a defender kind of fall asleep a little bit, he will immediately like turn on the jet, do a little crossover, and attack the basket. That's kind of like his go-to move. And you have Bradley Beal with his step-back jumper, and – I'm just I'm just curious. You mentioned the 15 to 18 foot jump shot from Dwight Howard, but I also saw he does like this weird want to be hook shot. Um, what are some tendencies that Dwight Howard does on the offensive end that can cause headaches if it doesn't go in? Obviously. Well, it, it's I mean, there's nothing that causes a bigger headache than that jump shot he tries to bring on, and and Dwight's even talked about this that he he's even discussed even in a positive light believing in himself that. He's worked on this, and it's something that's actually successful for him. And it's just not. I mean, and Dwight, he'll he'll give you at least once a game, at least last season for the Charlotte Hornets, he would give you a 16- to 18-foot jump shot. He would try banking it from the elbow. And any time it went in, you would see a bunch of tweets that just thank God. Like, I mean, it was, right. you know, Dwight it just jokes about Dwight. Like, it was a memorable moment when Dwight would hit a jump shot, yet he would give you one. 
at least once a game, maybe twice a game at some point. It's something that he worked on and he just never got better at. It's just not in his skill set. When he, when he goes down low, I mean, I, you know, there's some fine moves. It's like the push jump sh- It's like the push hook shot, right? Like a little baby hook where you've got more so you're kind of, instead of having a, a parallel line between you and, and the basket across your waist, you're kind of like pointing towards a little bit, maybe rotating in more and putting it a little bit over your left shoulder, but not as much as a hook shot. Dwight likes that move. A lot of it is just bullying his way down there and trying to go for a two-handed slam, and it's fun. Right. He'll he'll increase the team's dunk total for sure. I mean, that's what Dwight does, and there's a lot of entertaining value in that. But, again, it it goes back to the successful brand of basketball, whether that leads to a lot of wins. If he gives you 30 and 30, yeah, you'll take that. I mean, that's (laughs) definitely since Kevin Love. Like, he's got – the capability to give you some 20 and 20 games. There, there are some opportunities there, and that certainly translates into some winning basketball when you have that kind of number being thrown out there. But for average 16, he averaged 12 and a half. Again, the box score, I would just say it's just a little misleading with with, with the effect that he can have on a team. And, and you know, it's Dwight's not stretching any floor, and so when you have John Wall at the top of the key doing that move that you said is kind of his signature. You know, that, that floor might be a little bit more crowded because Gortat, I mean, he could hit the jump shot. Dwight Howard can't hit that jump shot, and, and that's not going right. to stretch the floor for John Wall at all. Yeah, yeah, that, that's an excellent point. Uh, a part of me was just like, once he gets through that initial defender, then the lob threat, the kickout threat, you know, caving defenses in. But obviously we'll have to see how that gels. Um, we uh, recorded a podcast last night where um, one of my co-hosts, Ian Evans, uh, saw that Wall and Howard were hanging out in Miami, and it seems like they're kind of getting into this whole, like, quarterback, wide receiver, mm-hmm. get to know each other, where do you want the ball, how high do you want it, all that stuff. So hopefully you mentioned Batum and Howard, how, like, it never really gelled. Hopefully this is, like, a, a stepping stone, kind of like, you know, a, a building a foundation for there to be chemistry off the bat. Um, but you mentioned – you know, his stat line. And I'm curious about his production. Does it, if he's productive, does that equal wins? Or with him being on the court more, is that kind of slowing the game down and costing you victories? Because I feel like in D.C., the games where Gortat was on the bench, we surged. But that could also be because Gortat wasn't really outside of pick and rolls, and he was a pretty good passer out of the post. Outside of that, he's not really elite on any front offensively. Like, he, he can't really dunk. He can't, you know, really be a mess. It caused a mess on the defensive end. For Dwight Howard, for the Wizards to win with Dwight Howard, will his production equal wins? Or is it going to be more of a, if he has 14 and 14 rebounds, that's a really good game to complement what we're trying to do here. I'll tell you this. It didn't equal more wins for the Hornets. He had his best stat line since really probably his second year in Houston offensively. I mean, Dwight Howard averaged 16.5 points, and that's the most he's averaged in a season since his first year in Houston when it was the last time he was an all-star averaging 18 points. And you look at the, the production he got, Putting the ball in the basket, it's the best he's done. And the Charlotte Hornets, they still only won 36 games. And you look at the right. defense for the Charlotte Hornets, the defense got worse last year. And here's a guy in Dwight Howard who 
does provide at least some kind of value in, in rim protection. That has not gone away completely, right? I mean, there are right. if you're mobile. If you can run rim to rim and you can plot down low, there's a reason that Rudy Gobert still provides a lot of value. Joel Embiid still provides a lot of value. They're better even with Rudy Gobert getting exposed in the playoffs. They're even better perimeter defenders than what Dwight Howard is. And even yeah. rim protection, there are, there's an interesting stat out there. So Cleaning the Glass, it, it, it's a website that you can look some stats up. I, I don't know if you've heard of it, but it's you can look up stats that basically eliminate all garbage time. So it's all about the relevant stats within the game. And one interesting stat I think you look at for Dwight was teams did not attempt many shots in the paint against the Charlotte Hornets, but when they did, they were relatively efficient doing so. So it's almost as if Dwight Howard kind of stopped them from going to the paint, but when they figured out they could or when they did, they were pretty efficient in doing doing so, almost like no all bark, no bite from Dwight Howard. All of the, the fear tactic, but not exactly the actual evidence to back it up. So right. Dwight Howard's down there defensively for the Washington Wizards or certainly for the Charlotte Hornets last season. Maybe he'll, you'll see the attempts go down as far as the uh, attempts in the paint, the shots in the paint from whatever point guard might be driving in or whatever big guy you have. But when they shoot, at least last season, it showed to be pretty efficient for them. So Dwight Howard, I, I think maybe that's the reputation that you see. Maybe that's just good team defense overall for the Hornets not letting him down there. I don't know. But I thought that was an interesting stat to look at with the value that Dwight has with some of the stats that you see from what he did. And one other thing, real quickly, his field goal percentage, it also is, it was the third worst that he's ever had in his career. The two previous worst years he had were his rookie and his sophomore season. And Dwight put up the worst field goal percentage that he had since his rookie and his sophomore season. So, you know, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's an interesting box score. It's one of the more interesting box scores to try right. to, <laughs> trying to transition it and relate it to the actual success of a team on the court. It, it's very fascinating to look at all the different kind of stuff and see, well, wait a minute, that tells me that should be good, and yet you watch it on the court, it just doesn't pass the eyeball test, and the win-loss record, it doesn't pass that test either. Interesting, yeah. I mean, I would have thought, I feel like the perception here is, you know, Dwight Howard is at least bringing a presence, you know, something to think about before you willingly drive to the basket to lay it up. But I, I just from watching some of the highlights, because I haven't honestly, like, sat down to watch any film or anything, but I wanted to bring up, you know, some memorable moments that you all have had with Dwight Howard. And one of the games that came to mind was um, a matchup against the Sixers in Charlotte where, uh, you know, Dwight Howard, I believe, he finished with around 26 points and Joel Embiid was around, like, 16 points. And... Howard was going right at Joel Embiid, like just blowing by him and knocking him over and dunking and finishing with a bunch of and ones. And obviously, like that's 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 a highlight video. So obviously, we're going to see all the positives. But how how many moments did Dwight Howard create where you looked and you were like, wow, this is the future Hall of Famer. This is the All Star center. How many of those moments happened aside from that matchup against Joel and B and like what jump what comes to mind? Well, I mean, you have of course the the thirty thirty game, which of course is is probably it, it was a it was a mediocre season for the Hornets. It was lackluster, coming off of some pretty decent expectations, and, and that was a really cool moment that Dwight gave the Charlotte Hornets a thirty thirty game. Yeah. You don't see it often. Again, Kevin Love, the last guy we saw do it. 
in his prime with the Minnesota Timberwolves. So that was a great moment you saw from him. He gave you some 30-point games. There was a stretch there in March, at the very beginning of March, where he gave you a 30-point game against Philadelphia, gave you a 30-point game against Phoenix, and gave you a 33-point game against the Atlanta Hawks. And even later in March, he gave you a 32-point game against Brooklyn. So he, he did give you a lot of those baskets, and he, he, he was efficient in, in doing so. So it, March was a relatively good month for him as far as seeing the kind of, you know, it was the, the, the game highs that he had. In fact, he had, I guess I just rattled off four 30-point games in March, and there wasn't too many in the entire rest of the season. In fact, I'm scrolling back through February and scrolling back through January, December, November. I can't find another one. And, and so he had four right. in March, but that was about it. So for some reason, he was just feeling it that month. But he gave us the moment. And, and you know, my, my skepticism of Dwight Howard's value in the NBA today, it, it doesn't diminish what he did career-wise, right? I mean, the, the guy is still right. not a Hall of Famer. There was once upon a time where Dwight – was an amazing basketball player that absolutely deserved to be in the consideration of who are you starting your franchise around. Dwight Howard was a part of that conversation, and it's not his fault that the game left him. There's a lot of big men where the game left them in the dust and they became dinosaurs. And and Dwight probably has the body to adapt a little bit, but he's still trying to figure out how to thrive in this NBA by being an offensive juggernaut. And he's capable of 30-point games, but at the same time, you can also ask, okay, well, he is taking 15 uh, shot attempts in one of those 30-point games, 20 shot attempts, 17, 15. Uh, is, is that something that you want a, a post player where you're stopping all kind of transition, he's going to give you a couple dribbles, try to back you down, eat some time off the shot clock, and then dunk it, whereas the other team is just running and gunning, putting up a shot pretty early in the shot clock, and oftentimes it's a three-pointer. So you have those 17 shot attempts, those 20 shot attempts being taken away from all the other three-point possibilities that you could have. And I think that's just what hurt the Hornets a lot. It was, it was fine. It was a mediocre season for the Hornets. But I also think, you know, it was a mediocre game plan that they had by, by having Dwight Howard that much as far a part of the a part of the focal point on the offensive end. Yeah, I mean, that, that's extremely interesting, again, perspective from someone that went a whole season with him is what we were looking for and I think what we're imagining here in DC is just there were several moments in the Gortat wall era where there was a perfectly put ball to be dunked as a lob and many times it would be caught received brought down and then you know, you would either get blocked, you would miss the bunny, you would make it. But it was it was like every time we thought, man, if we just had an athletic center, like, that can just jump out of the gym, all those would be dunks. All those would be highlights. And just seeing the highlights of, you know, Kemba just throwing the ball up and then Howard just going for it. I, I mean, for me, I can't wait for the first one that happens at Capital One Arena because I know – like, that, that's going to be incredible to watch a human that big, like, do something like that. Um, but I want to end the, 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 this episode with some perspective and to also tame some of the expectations, mainly from myself, because I'm not going to lie, I'm pretty high on this acquisition, aside from the potential of the player in terms of cost, in terms of years, from – a perspective of this rising salary cap and players getting 
ridiculous deals. I, I take this deal 10 times out of 10, you know, hoping that Dwight Howard can come in and find, rediscover himself and work with Wall and Beal and Porter and figure something out. But what were some of the questionable moments? Like, what were some either things that he said, games that he played, body language that you were just like, well, this is why Dwight Howard gets the rep that he gets around the league? I don't know if there was anything that, that stands out to mind of an incident happening with Dwight where I was like, you know, there's good old Dwight that got him kicked out of, that got him, you know, not missed in L.A. and not necessarily missed in Houston, got him out of Atlanta. Like, I don't think there was any kind of moment where there was a end-all, be-all comment from him or there was any kind of demonstration on the court. There, there are the times, like I said, where he's not exactly all that engaging after losses. And he kind of puts that responsibility on the other teammates to to talk after losses. I think it was documented in Atlanta. It was certainly the the same thing here in Charlotte where he did not want to have a whole lot to do with reporters or media if they would lose a game throughout the 82 regular season, uh, a game regular season. So I I think you have just kind of trends more so than you had specific moments with him. And just like the moments we talked about, just, you know, the stat line, just like, the kind of times where the offense would be stagnant, kind of four out, one in, but the, the everybody's kind of just waiting for Dwight to make a move rather than getting ready for a pass because it's just not going to come out of the post. I mean, again, the one and a half right. passes per game is just not there. And to your point about being high on Dwight coming to the Wizards, when the Charlotte Hornets traded for him, it was a I thought it was a fantastic move. And still, despite the the average season that the Hornets endured. I do that deal 10 times out of 10 as well. You get rid of Miles Plumlee's contract, which is viewed as one of the worst in the league, and in a league with plenty of, of bad contracts, and you get Dwight Howard as an experiment to see if this is the guy that can take the Hornets to the next level. And last offseason, there wasn't really a whole lot of teams that improved. I think people tapped the Pistons with the Avery Bradley acquisition, the Hornets with Dwight Howard, and, and that was, and maybe the Celtics with Gordon Hayward certainly coming over from the Jazz and Kyrie Irving, but that was about it as far as teams that really made a, a, a big move to maybe move the needle, needle for that team and what they were going to do in the postseason. I, I loved the move at the time. You just you experienced right for the entire season, and it just doesn't look like the winning brand of basketball. And, again, it's, right. it's a move I do, uh, I do a million times. It, it all comes down – to Dwight just buying into his role. It's very similar to the Carmelo aspect. We all know Carmelo. Yes. If he just bought into a role coming off the bench and just being a lightning rod, being a scorer, then cool. I think everybody views Carmelo as a useful player in that regard. But when they have something in their mind that doesn't match what the actual player they are, what, what reality is, then you could have some potential problems, whether – there is locker room problems, whether there is a, a any kind of problem communication-wise between him and the coach, or if the coach gives him what he wants, and then you do have a problem out there on the court because Dwight feels like he's something that he's just not. It's all about if Dwight can just buy into what he actually is at this point, and I, I just don't think we've seen any kind of evidence that he's ever going to do that. There's a reason Atlanta traded him for, for Miles Plumley and Marco Bellinelli there's a reason the Hornets traded him for Timothy Mozgov and a couple of second-round picks. It's amazing. It's amazing to see that kind of guy get traded twice in a row now for pennies on the dollar. And yet, here we are, so intrigued with Dwight's stat line, with the player that Dwight is in this NBA day and age, 
that you can't help but feel some kind of optimism, yet you have to have some kind of caution with that optimism as well with him coming onto your franchise. Right, yeah, and and unfortunately at the time that he's joining this locker room, there's kind of a – there's a weird tension, you know. There's a lot of rumors. Too. That was quite the uh, personality acquisition also. Right, yeah. <laughs> yeah, we'll be doing uh, – our next episode is about the same coverage, but for Austin Rivers to get some perspective on him. But I just feel like there's – this offseason for the Wizards, it's very weird. Cause it's, it's, I feel like there's a lot of players that have talent, that they're a name around the league. But they just there's a reason why they ended up getting the contracts that they did. They ended up getting the the trade that they got, and it's just going to come down to honestly, these are pieces to complement the core, and the core consists of Wall, Beal, Porter. I can throw in Marquise Morris and Kelly Oubre and Scott Brooks, and these are just pieces to help support those you know main main players on the Wizards. So hopefully. We can have some positivity now that we've gotten the rundown from Walker and kind of tame those locker room cancers and kind of maybe start to look forward to at least to see what happens. Because as he just said, which I'm still processing, that you were really extremely high on the move, 10 out of 10, and then you went through a year of Dwight Howard, and now you're like, okay, well, I can kind of see, like, what's going on. So it'll be interesting to see if I'll be saying those same words a year from now, like maybe when we trade away Dwight Howard or something like that. And but, the difference between the two franchises' acquisitions of them is that you get them through a free agent acquisition basically paying, what is it, $5 million that Dwight's getting from the Wizards? Yeah. And yep. the Hornets were paying them over $20 million and they had to give up some kind of asset in return for them. So – I, I would think, you know, obviously, you guys, the Wizards, are taking him on a much better risk than what the Charlotte Hornets are. And so I, I think with just the, the difference in scenarios that the two franchises are in, I think it's perfectly fine to to be optimistic about Dwight's acquisition here because of the risk. There, there's going to, you know, there's there's problems with him playing with the Charlotte Hornets. There, it, it wasn't exactly like the team got better defensively or offensively with his acquisition, but. It's a one-year deal, right? It's a one-year deal, $5 million. You take that risk, and I, I think I'm, I'm fine with what the Wizards did, just trying to add something, because they need a big man. I mean, you're not going to go in with Jan Mahimi as your big exactly. guy. And Dwight Howard, it, it seems like that would be a perfectly fine acquisition for the amount of money. And the, if, you know, if, if, here, if there is some kind of adaptation for, for Dwight in, in this day and age in the NBA, then I think he can be a player with value in this league. Yeah, and that's a great point. And to end on that note, um, I, from the beginning of the offseason, said if we can improve this team without trading away our first-round draft pick, without trading away Kelly Oubre, Thomas Sadoransky, I would say do it at all costs. And if you told me, hey, you can get Dwight Howard for $5 million after you trade away Martin Gortat for a third ball handler for the first time in the Wall Beal era, I'm pretty sure every Wizards fan would take it because what are the alternatives? Are you going to start Jan Mahimi? Are you going to start Jason Smith? Are you going to bring in a rookie? And it's just we're not there to groom a talent to go with these guys. Like, these guys are ready to go. Like, we've been underperforming. We underperformed last year due to injury, locker room stuff, all that. But this year coming up, 
I mean, LeBron's out of the East. Kawhi is in the East. I, I don't know. Like, we, we have to – this is the year, and this is why I was saying why Wizards fans are kind of, you know, worried or excited. It, the worry is scary because this could be the end of the team as we know as constructed. You know, if it doesn't work out, players might get shipped out, we might, you know, flip everything around. And Yeah, so I don't want to end on that note, but, Walker, thank you very much for joining me today. Uh, thank you very much for that insight. I feel like I have a better perspective of what the Dwight Howard experience is like. Um, make sure to give him a follow, follow on Twitter, at Walker Mel, and check out the Locked On Hornets podcast as well, as we are part of that Locked On NBA network. And thank you for joining us, and we'll catch you next time. Thanks so much, Arthur. I appreciate you having me. Hey, Prime members. You can listen to this Locked On podcast ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the Amazon Music app today.